Hey everyone, this is Mike Joseph, and I just wanted to say that I hope you enjoy the episode you're about to listen to. If you do, I kindly ask that you tell a friend about Detoxicity. Even better, please rate, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen. I'm always on the hunt for new and interesting guests, and I like keeping in touch with those of you who listen. So, if you have a recommendation for a guest, or if you just want to know what I do day-to-day, follow me on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph, or on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, or both. You can even email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. On a less self-promotional tack, I really hope that you and yours are keeping yourselves and others safe during this pandemic, and even if you listen to this after the pandemic is over, there is no greater quality, in my opinion, than people who are empathetic and kind to others. Hell, it's a big reason I do this podcast in the first place. Enjoy the show, and be well. Jim Shearer is a broadcasting veteran who is perhaps best known as the host of VH1's Top 20 Countdown from 2009 through 2014. Jim has also hosted shows on MTV, MTV2, and IFC. He currently hosts the Jim Shearer Show on SiriusXM Volume in addition to being a professor at Fordham University in New York City. During our chat, Jim discusses how he got a late start on his pop culture knowledge and still achieved his dreams of being a VJ and meeting his all-time favorite group. If you don't know him, you'll find out who that is very, very quickly into the podcast. He also talks about being a lifelong teetotaler and how that has affected his time in entertainment, the strict moral code that he continues to adhere to with regards to the treatment of women, teaching his kids about civil rights by way of wrestling, and much more. If you know him, you'll love him. Here's Jim Shearer, y'all. So my name is Jim Shear. I am a host on SiriusXM Volume, which is an alt-talk music channel. I'm also a college adjunct professor at Fordham University, and I lead and direct a high school youth group in Queens. And you are from Pittsburgh? From the Berg. I I know this because you say yins a lot. (laughs) That's that's our version of y'all. Yes, for those who don't know, I guess, because I only know that because I have some good friends that live in Pittsburgh, and I mean, they call people And you know like, the record stores in Pittsburgh, too. I do not, because I've been there Which a bunch I love. of times. Yes. I mean, Jerry's is like a, you know, that's like a, a, a dream. Well, I want to be in Pittsburgh when you're in Pittsburgh, so I can show you some more things. Oh, please. We'll, we'll have to make that happen at some point. I want to make it happen. We, we will, when it is safe for us to travel again. We will, we let will me do know. That. Like, I we'll will sync it up. I've heard parts of your radio story before, sort of your origin story. What ended up getting you to the point where you're on the radio? I, I worked at MTV for six years, and then I worked for VH1 for six years. And the guy who ran MTV radio, who I did some work with over those years, he started SiriusXM Volume. So basically, he got on the phone, and he called up all of the old MTV rejects. (laughs) So it's basically because I I knew someone who worked at MTV Radio that was starting up this channel on Sirius XM. Okay. I mean, you weren't a reject if you were there for six years. (laughs) And that's longer than most people hold jobs. What was it that spurred you to get into, you know, even like get to MTV in the first place? Was that like a childhood dream that you fulfilled or like, was it something you stumbled into? When you're in high school and you have to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life, <laughs> yes. or, at least what you're gonna, or at least what you're going to do for the next four years of your life. So I came to that decision and I thought, well, what the heck do I want to do? I'm like, I love music and I love the Beastie Boys. Wait a second. I can be an MTV VJ. <laughs> Simple as that. 
So the only reason I wanted to become a VJ was to meet the Beastie Boys. Which you succeeded in doing. Which I did. So I think I made that declaration my senior year of high school, which was 1993. And then in 2004, I finally met the Beastie Boys. So it took 11 years. It took 11 years, but I finally did it. There's something to be said for sticking to a plan. Yeah. What was... You're obviously very much a pop culture junkie. Right? Yes. It's not just about the Beastie Boys. Like you have just a tremendous amount of pop culture knowledge. What was it that you saw in like entertainment, specifically music, but I don't think it's limited to music, that drew you in so heavily? I think I like the excitement of it. And then the reason I got into the Beastie Boys is because my first few years of high school were really tough. I didn't have a bunch of friends and I had come from another school. And I remember coming home and turning on MTV and seeing the So What You Want music video. And that just filled me with such confidence. So I guess with music and entertainment also comes some confidence. What was it about so I like that? I like, yeah, the, the entertainment, I like the colors, I like the energy. So all of that mixed together in one beautiful milkshake. That is why I love the world of media. Milkshake. What was it about the Beastie Boys that, that gave you confidence? I, I'm, I, I've never really heard someone, not to say that the Beastie Boys are not confident themselves or confidence building. I've just never heard of anyone saying that the Beastie Boys kind of like gave them some juice. You know what I'm saying? It just, wait, you never heard anyone say that the Beastie Boys gave them some juice? I, I don't think so. I mean, I know plenty. Really? Of, I know plenty of people who love the Beastie Boys, but not as like a. And you don't think it fills them with juice? It might fill them with joy, but I don't know <laughs> if they're like a, a motivating. Like, I don't know if anybody has ever been like, you know, the Beastie Boys give me confidence. It was maybe I can't explain it, but. If you've never seen, I know you've seen the So What You Want music video. Yes. But it's three guys just frolicking through the woods in <laughs> sock caps, t-shirts, and really cold tennis shoes. And maybe that's, I'm like, wow, they, 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 they look, they, it feels so free. There's a freedom about this. So maybe I like the fact that I could dress like them. It wasn't hard to track down a t-shirt and a sock cap and a pair of Adidas. And there were woods around me. So it only took a few steps to be like the Beastie Boys. So maybe to me, it seemed attainable and there was a certain freedom about it. In that music video, Mike D is wearing a vintage New York Knicks ringer t-shirt. And at that point in the 1990s, that retro t-shirt wasn't available yet because I think it became cool because of that music video. Okay. And then a couple of years later, everybody's wearing a ringer tee in the 1990s. So what I would do is I would make my own t-shirts with an undershirt and then I would have to color the collar because I couldn't find a ringer tee anywhere. That's amazing. So, <laughs> so I, I had to make my own ring. So you were, in addition to being a Beastie Boys fan, you picked up on their, on their DIY aesthetic and you were making your own clothing. Yes. <laughs> It was a whole new way to look at things. I respect that. I feel like there are a lot of, like when you're a kid, you want to be all sorts of things. Like you want to be a radio DJ or a, particularly if you're into like pop culture and music, you want to be, a, if you don't want to be a musician, you want to be a radio DJ, you want to run a record store, you want to be a producer, whatever it is. 
you had a goal and you achieved it. I did. Which I don't think a lot of people do. I know. But the scary thing is, what do you do after you achieve that goal? What did you, I mean, did you find another goal? Not yet. Because <laughs> I think I achieved that goal when I was 29. Right. And it was cool. But then after MTV and VH1 ended, I thought, well, what do I do now? But I am glad. I am glad that I got to meet the Beastie Boys and achieve that. One thing about I the Beastie Boys. need to find uh, another mountain to climb. There are plenty of mountains to climb, Jim. <laughs> so I maybe mean, on this episode of Detoxicity, I can figure out what that mountain is. Mountain is. I, we can, we can, you we can, can help you. You can lead me to that mountain. I can lead you to that mountain. I don't know if I can necessarily climb it with you. You can, like, give me an earpiece. <laughs> Telling you how to scale the mountain. And then coach, coach me as I climb that mountain. I feel like I might be a good coach. Yes. Yeah. So what was, what was your upbringing like, like growing up? What was, you know, little, little Jimmy? Did they call you Jimmy? My mom called me Thimble. Okay. Because I think it was Jim, Jimbo. Thimble kind of sounded like Jimbo, Jimbo. A little bit. Maybe once my mom called me Jimbo so many times it turned into Thimble. Well, did, you, did your friends know that you had that nickname? No. Okay. My friends <laughs> never this called me exclusive. Thimble. Okay. But yeah, I was a, I, I grew up in a very religious household. So religious that we weren't even allowed to listen to secular or pop music. Wow. So throughout my entire childhood, I had to listen to nothing but Christian music. And this isn't, I'm assuming, because you're white, this is not like <laughs> fun gospel music. This is like Michael W. Smith and... Yeah, like, it was terrible. Yes. There, there, were some, there were some good artists. Now, Amy Grant, I was, I was allowed to listen to Amy Grant. So it was a big deal for me when she broke pop right. in the early 1990s. Right. Because I felt like I was in on that. I was like, yeah, I, I know about you. Right. <laughs> And then there was an artist, his name was Steve Taylor. And he was kind of like the David Byrne of Christian music. I don't even... He kind of dressed, dressed wacky and was experimental. And I remember at my college radio station, he went alternative. And then we would always get his CDs. So Amy Grant and Steve Taylor broke from the Christian music world. But most of the other stuff was terrible. I, having heard a fair amount of it over the years, I share your opinion. Right? <laughs> I share you know your... about music? I do. I do. So were you like sneaking around like listening to secular music as a so, kid? So I was allowed to watch wrestling. And back in the day, wrestlers would have theme songs not made by the WWF. For example, when the Junkyard oh. Dog walked to the ring, his theme song was Another One Bites the Dust right. from Queen. Right. Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo former WWF Tag Team Champions. Their theme song was Born in the USA from Bruce Springsteen. So what I would do is I would take my tape recorder and record these little 30 seconds, and then that would be the version of the song that I had. So I would listen to Another One Bites the Dust and Born in the USA, but I only had like 30 seconds of it. And did you go to a Catholic school? Yeah. Was so I went to Catholic grade school, St. Bonaventure in Glenshaw, Pennsylvania. Okay. And was that like, was everybody in school like the same 
sort of way like they weren't listening to no i mean michael jackson or the police or whoever it was they were listening to michael jackson duran duran i remember on the bus the older kids would bring their boom boxes and that's the first time i ever heard run dmc the fat boys and the beastie boys right so they got to listen to secular music i didn't i now i feel like a therapist how did that make you feel jim i mean i was upset because I remember there was a commercial promoting a, a Big East basketball game, and they used We Will Rock You. And I thought, that's so cool. So for that 10 seconds, I was glued to the television. And then a couple months later, someone brought a boombox on the bus, and they played We Will Rock You from start to finish. And I thought, whoa, it's an actual song. I just thought it was like a 10-second snippet in a commercial. Mm -mm. So the thing is, when I was ready, when I was allowed to listen to pop music, I was so ready to go. What, so when, maybe because they held me back for so many years, my <laughs> appetite was so voracious. That's why I went nuts. Right, right. I can totally see that. When you're restricted from something and then you finally experience it, you do, a lot of people do kind of go crazy. Like, not mm -hmm. in a, you know, I don't mean actually go crazy, but they just sort of try to pack all of that previous experience into like one shot you know so i went nuts and years later after working in music for over 20 years the only thing i regret because i know that gave me a charge as soon as i was as soon as i was allowed out of the gate i just swallowed everything and absorbed everything i could but my back history sucks so if someone you know says oh what was the the third song on that clash album I'm like well i'd have to check that <laughs> From 1990 on, on money, but beyond that, I have to, you know, I have to look on Google. I have to do some research. I have to do some homework, yeah. Right, right. But do you know the song that broke open the floodgates in my house? How embarrassing is it on a scale from one to ten? It's probably a nine, a nine or a ten. Ooh, what, what, okay. Let's, let's, let's play a game here. <laughs> what year was it? Okay. So this would have been... I want to say it's late 80s or early 90s. And at this point in time, we're in high school now. Just right. starting yeah, high school. You and I, and I, have you an and I have an older sister. Okay. And there's five kids in my house. My dad's working all day. And then at some point in high school, my mom goes back to nursing school. So it was at this time when we had some more freedom. And my sister would tape songs off of the radio. And then she would go into her room, put on her headphones, and listen to these songs. And my dad caught her the one day. He's like, what are you listening to? I told you you can't listen to that. That's bad stuff. And I remember her crying. She's like, it's not bad, Dad. Dad, it's not bad. He's like, let me hear it then. And then I remember he took her headphones. And by the way, the only reason my sister owned a Walkman is because our family didn't have a lot of money. So we would always get presents from the church at Christmas. And in one of those batches of presents was a Walkman. So it, it came from the church. So that's how she owned a Walkman. Wow. So my dad put the, uh, the headphones over his ears and he was listening very intently. And then he nodded. And then kind of reluctantly, he gave the headphones back to my sister and he said, it's fine. Okay. So do you know the song? that enabled the Sheer Kids to now listen to secular music. 
Now, keep in mind, the lyrics weren't bad because my dad listened to it and he's like, all right, that's fine. I, I feel but like because I need- of this song, because of this song in this group, that's why I was able to listen to the radio and watch MTV and eventually fall in love with the Beastie Boys and eventually start a career in the music business. You want to take a guess or you just want me to tell you? I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to take a, take a guess. And this is a wild guess because I don't have a lot of context here. And I'm going to say it's Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. Not bad. You're kind of in the same lane. I mean, we, you're close. Was it? Because I think, I think at one point my sister probably was listening to Hanging Tough. But the song that broke open the floodgates was... Blame it on the rain I from Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli was my second choice. I was so close. There's nothing, there's nothing bad about that song. No. Blame it on the rain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I personally actually like that song very much. But yeah, I, that, was, that was my second choice, Jim. <laughs> Millie Vanilli's song. Because I am curious about your upbringing. Like, how did that, like, all, how did that shape you as an adult? Like, we're close to the same age because we graduated high school the same year and I feel like there's a lot of I mean look and even for me like my upbringing was restricted in parts and there's certain pop culture things I'm not familiar with but I definitely was able to listen to secular music and I you know my upbringing sounds like it was not as conservative as yours so like do you feel like you missed out on anything and how did that shape you as a grown-up like like I said I feel like I missed out on every piece of music from 75 to 1990. So there's 15 years of music that I could have been studying and absorbing, which I wasn't allowed to. But then I think if I was allowed to listen to music for the 15 years, would I have eventually gotten tired of it? And I think the answer is no, because I still love music. Yeah, I mean, I, I can speak from my own experiences as someone who has been kind of addicted to music since he was probably three. It, it's, for some people, I'm sure it does go away. For me, it has not. Yeah, like I'm still into it. So yeah. as I look back, I'm like, ah, they robbed me of those 15 years. <laughs> but uh, what was I going to say? Like, I, even like as... as outside of music just as a person as a man like you know was your upbringing like you know would you would you rate it highly or was there stuff that you kind of had to figure out once you grew up and particularly moving to New York and working in media like there's got to be a lot of stuff that you were just like holy crap like what the hell is going on here so my parents never went to college So my sister and I were the first kids to graduate from college or go to college. We had five kids. My dad was working. My mom was going to nursing school. So there was a lot that we had to figure out on our own. And in many ways, I felt like me and my sister are only a year apart. So we kind of, by us figuring stuff out on our own and not having you know an older brother or sister that was five years older than us that could show us the way you know there was a lot of digging through the weeds and you know maybe it would take us five years to figure something else out but if we had more guidance we could figure that out in one or two years sure or maybe it's because i'm a capricorn i don't know if your (laughs) astrological sign has anything to do with anything at all jim because i think i think we're supposed to be late bloomers (laughs) So I don't know if it's because I'm a Capricorn or because we were just sort of figuring things out on the fly. 
And then, like I said, our, our family didn't have a lot of money. My dad was unemployed a bunch. So we got the free lunch at school. We got the, you know, the, the food checks and the, the government cheese and all that too. Right. So with that came a chip on our shoulder, especially in school when you're dealing with the kids who didn't have the, the free lunches and they had the nice sneakers. Because I remember playing basketball like a kid would come into practice with the coolest pair of sneakers and then he would change out of those sneakers to get into an, another, another pair, pair of sneakers, sneakers. that were even better and i'm like oh man and i had the the sears version of nike i think it was called the winner <laughs> so i was like oh man i got these winter shoes and, and i wear them for everything i wear them to school i wear them to church and i wear them to basketball practice and that kid has two pairs of sneakers and they're better than mine yeah was there anything about coming to New York, moving to New York, where you were just like, wow, this place is weird. Like, what was there a culture shock? I mean, because Pittsburgh is a decently sized city, but I feel like if you move from anywhere to New York City, you're going to deal with some level of culture shock. I, the thing is, I always watched MTV, and then I loved the Beastie Boys, so I already had a taste of New York. <laughs> And then in 1999, there was a contest, Wanna Be a VJ 2? A oh, year after Wanna Be a VJ? A, I never realized there was a There was three. Time. There was three. Okay. So MTV had a, a, for those that don't know, MTV had a contest where an audience member could become a VJ for a year. And thousands of kids would go to Times Square. They'd try them out. they have this little competition. And then the first year, Jesse Camp Jesse won. Jesse Camp. Who was this eight foot tall skinny rock and roll dude the runner-up dave holmes actually stayed at mtv a lot longer than jesse camp so the following year they had a contest and i thought well, i'm gonna go to that because my dream is to become an mtv vj so that was the first time i went to new york city and then in grad school i had an internship at mtv so that was my second time in new york city so by the time i moved to new york city in 2001 I was kind of already familiar with it. So it wasn't shocking to me. Take, taking a step back from music, even like other culture, like TV, movies, all that stuff from like the 80s and early 90s, were you able to experience any of that? I was only allowed to watch sports movies. So I got to watch Rocky movies. And then I remember I went to a sleepover and I got to see Back to the Future which I thought was the greatest movie ever. And I think I still feel that way. I think it's I, still yeah, one of the greatest I, movies ever. I love them. I was recommending that movie to somebody today. So we didn't have a VCR. So what my dad would do, and this seems so backwards, I would say four times a year, there was this video store and he would rent a VCR for the weekend. So we would, we would rent movies, rent a VCR, watch movies for that weekend. And then not do it for another five or six months. Hmm. What did you do to pass the time? Sports. Okay. So there were a lot of kids in our neighborhood. So all we did throughout my entire childhood was play sports. When it was hockey season, we would play hockey, football season, football, baseball. We played tennis, basketball. We made our own sports up. <laughs> At night, we had release games. So it was all, it was all sports. So if I lived in a neighborhood without kids, I have no idea what I would do. Dude. 
Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting story. But it, I mean, I would assume it made you a good athlete. Yeah. <laughs> Kept me healthy, right? Yes. Yes. You know, you're a, you're a slim, in, in shape gentleman. <laughs> wow. So uh, I guess specifically to this podcast, being a guy and being like a pop culture fan and also kind of growing up in, you know, a, a conservative environment, what do you think all of that stuff kind of taught you or messaged you about what being a man was what's the tagline for your podcast uh about men by men for everyone because i was thinking about that how my definition of masculine masculinity see i can't even say it sorry has changed throughout the years but i'm trying to think like growing up i would think that you know, the toughest guys were, you know, the biggest, strongest football players with the biggest muscles. And it's funny looking back at that and you're like, well, I don't know how truly masculine they were. Right. Because it feels like a lot of that, even by their actions or certain things they say, is almost fueled by fear. Like they want people to think they're tough. Right. But in actuality, they're not really tough yeah i mean and I the think- only thing the only thing that kind of saved me in my childhood was g- getting picked on and not having a lot of money because usually i hated the quote-unquote you know masculine or tough guys in school or the one i mean and maybe <clears throat> you know being masculine is not a bad thing but in a way we is. view it as a I think when you like when you amp it up, that's when it gets bad. Yeah, I mean, there. Are, I don't think being masculine is bad in and of itself, but there are so many traits and behaviors that are associated with masculinity that are completely wrong, and you know, and it's just like you got to be kind of a bully or a tough guy, which is wrong. You can't show any emotion or vulnerability, or you know, you kind of have to walk and step all over people. And, you know, going all the way back to like, I don't think a lot of people sort of directly teach this, but it's certainly, I mean, it's, it's from the Bible going forward, you know, men are put in a place where they are, they are superior to women or seen as superior to women, which is false. So I, I think there's just a lot of kind of baked in behavior involved with masculinity that needs to be unlearned yeah. and is in the process of being unlearned by some people you know i think people that don't necessarily have access to be educated about other forms of masculinity people who don't live in places where any kind where where that's still like you know hunt fish kill fight shoot you know where that sort of aesthetic is still celebrated Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they, they've got a, a longer way to go. And I mean, things, like I said, things are changing, but there's still a lot of pockets, you know, in this country, in this world, where the toxicity that's associated with masculinity is still very much uh, a thing. And you've, you know, you've got kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, one boy and one girl or? Yes. Yeah, okay. boy and a girl. Okay. So, I mean, as a dad, you know, there's got to be some conversations or at least trying to figure out how you can navigate that with your kid as a dad. I try to be as honest with my kids as possible. Also knowing that they're very young too. Right. So I don't want to feed them too much. I want to 
be able to give them what they can digest and absorb and understand. But I try to, you know, I try to impart on them to respect everyone. And they go back and forth and I don't even, you know, I don't know. I mean, they wouldn't know what masculinity is. Sure. But my daughter, which was shocking to me, I mean, she's into Barbies and princesses and my wife's not like that. So I'm like, how did she end up like this? <laughs> but I remember we were watching Sports Center the one morning and they were showing WNBA highlights. And she said, girls don't play basketball. And I don't know for what, the I'm like, who taught you that? Yeah, I'm like, right. of course they do. So I made sure the next day to hang a giant picture of Candace Parker in our hallway, just to let her know that yes, girls play basketball. So it's a, it's a lot of stuff like that with kids, right? where they'll just make these blanket statements and you have to shut it down right away. Right. And it's also, you know, kids hear that from other kids or, or maybe teachers or other people's parents, you know, so. Yeah, they're like sponges. They'll yeah. absorb it all. Yeah. Even the stuff that you don't think they pay attention to, they're paying attention to. So. And it, you know, it's important, and it's important for my son, too, to know that guys can cry. Like, it's okay if somebody cries. It doesn't mean that they're wimpy or weak or anything like that. Right. So I just try to nip it in the bud, but things will always, you know, slide by. And my son is also now on Roblox. Did you ever play Roblox? No, what's that? It's like, a, it's, a, it's a video game. Like and a PlayStation like with, game or whatever? Or a no, within Roblox are millions of games. And then you get friends and then you can type your friends' messages. And I just have to stay on top of him with that because sometimes he'll go back and forth with his cousins or his other friends and they'll get into the conversations. So now I'm like, okay, that's something else I have to pay attention to now. Right. Well, you know, people our age didn't have to, when we were kids at least, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I was in my 20s. I know. So it's a whole new culture that we have to sort of deal with. Is, is older yeah, there's people. a whole nother layer to police now. Right. Any interaction I had with my friends or you had with your friends was in person inter or over the phone at, at most. Mm -hmm. But now it's like social media and texting and email. And I mean, kids probably don't even email anymore all of the apps and kind of all that other stuff. Like it's just a different world. Like you can't really shield anybody from anything anymore. So we've talked to our kids about Black Lives Matter and racism and we try to instill that in them. And my son's also into WWE. <laughs> Maybe it's just a genetic thing. Yeah, the apple's not falling from far from the tree there. <laughs> so he, he has fallen in love with Stone Cold Steve Austin. So my son watches WWE videos and he really likes Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right. And there was a debate online about, you know, the, the Confederate flag. And someone said, oh, it's, it's my heritage. It's my Southern heritage. And then Stone shot back with this promo for the ages saying, I don't give a crap about your heritage. It, you know, it's, it means it's racism, blah, blah, blah. And that's the bottom line. And my son was so impressed with this because he sees 
Stone Cold Steve Austin as this tough guy. Right. And then he saw him pretty much backing up black lives. So to me, that is like total legit masculine good guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because there are some guys that look tough on the videos and, you know, they sound tough. But then when it comes to something like that, they'll flip flop and they'll look like just a, you know, like the biggest wuss. Right. So that made my son so proud because now when he watches these videos, he's like Stone Cold Steve Austin believes that black lives matter. And that's a big thing for him. That's awesome. So that's what we got to do. We got to get these John Wayne type of guys to be courageous in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need people who are sort of traditionally masculine pop culture figures, people like Stone Cold and people like the Rock, or Dwayne Johnson and, and you know, yes. those guys to really talk about like, alt to talk about A, important political issues and B, just talk about what that being a man doesn't necessarily mean you got to be cut up and, you know, loud and obnoxious and, you know, that being tough and that A, women can be just as tough. And women are just as tough, if not tougher. Yes. But making all the right messages. And speaking of women being tough, I remember seeing Madonna on her last tour. And when you think of the word masculine, I remember being thinking, this is the most masculine show that I've seen in like two or three years. <laughs> and it's coming from a woman. Why? Why? Just, just her attitude, the way that she carried herself on stage, the, it just, it had this masculinity to it that was lacking in a lot of the music that I was listening to or seeing live. Right. And I do, the thing is, I am a fan of masculinity, not to the point where it gets toxic. Like if there's a guy who's ripped and then he goes out into his backyard and starts shooting his gun and posts pictures of his gun, I'm not into that. But if you can kind of have that, that masculine look and then back it up, with a, a courageousness that's good for the world, then to me, that's the total package. So not like a, a Donald Trump kind of character. No. <laughs> yeah, like when he gives fists to the camera and stuff, I'm like, nah, 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 no. Nah. Like that's, that's the opposite of being masculine. Right. And I mean, to me, it's also just not believable. No, not at all. Yeah. It, and it, it pisses me off that people buy into it. Yeah. Like it goes back to the whole tough people people who think they're tough or are trying to act like they're tough and it not just, just not going over well. But I, I think that there are, you know, there are people who think like, you know, the, the men are not allowed to be men anymore. And it, it just like, it's so silly because, you know, there's really only thing that determines whether you're a man or not. And, yeah. you know, a lot of, again, a lot of those behaviors that were, celebrated and that had been celebrated for a long time need to not be celebrated anymore because they're exactly damaging, you know they're damaging but i get a charge yeah. i always get a charge when those traditionally masculine guys will stand up for what's right right because i had a friend who went off to the marines he's like six foot three when he came back he was jacked <laughs> and you would assume that he was your prototypical tough guy. And then I remember the one day we went out to play stickball and he wore like a rainbow shirt. So I'm like, that's freaking awesome. Like we've that got this Jack awesome. Moraine standing up for gay rights. 
I mean, and look, if you walk into a gay bar, you're going to find dudes who take their fitness very, very, very seriously. Yes. So, you know, again, like it's just the the messaging that gets sent is, is, you know, not always, usually not. The traditional messages that get sent are not really correct. How do you, I guess, you're obviously bringing up your kids in a very, very, in a different world and with a different sort of, like you have a, well, you probably don't have a VCR, but you probably have a Netflix subscription. I'm like, what's the modern day VCR? <laughs> I do. Although, although Mike, I still own my VCR. I still have one. Do you use it? Sometimes. Really? But just to like, like just to get old footage and then, yeah. Okay. No, but I have a whole bunch of old home VHS tapes. So if I need to digitize those, that's when I'll use the, v the VHS. Okay. So if I walk into Jim Shearer's house, like there's not going to be an entertainment system with a VCR sitting there. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's off to the side. Yeah, it's, it's actually <laughs> in my office. Okay. All right. Because, yeah, I mean, I talk about like outdated technology. It's so like I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday about this. Like you think back to like 1995, which doesn't feel like a long time ago to me, but it's 25 no. years ago. And it was like before DVDs, before everybody had a computer in the house, before the internet, before social media, before Wi-Fi before uh, Netflix and Hulu, before iTunes, like just all of this stuff that has happened just since then. And like, I was an adult in 1995. So it just kind of like freaks me out that I have been an adult for that long. <laughs> for a quarter of a century. Yeah. And like, I could talk to a 24 or, tw I mean, I work with 20, you know, kids who are 24 and 25 and some of them are probably like, some of them have never used a rotary phone. Some of them have never used like dial up. Some of them have never used mm -hmm. a VCR before. And that like, kind of like yep. my buddy, my buddy was saying uh, yesterday, like Kurt Cobain died before a lot of these people were even alive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as Does, what, what do you think? I just, I just saw a whole bunch of people wearing Nirvana shirts this week. And you know that they don't know anything about Nirvana. What do you think when people now wear your favorite bands on their chest just because it's a cool logo or a cool image? I mean, I, I'm not... There's a little tiny part of me, Jim. A little tiny part of me that's like, they probably don't know that music. But I, I think my, my <laughs> better judgment gets like the best of me. And I'm like, you know what? If they like the shirt, they like the shirt. Maybe they'll listen to the band that's on the shirt and be exposed to like a new thing. And, you know, yeah. and if they don't, that's kind of cool too. I mean, you know, but it does like, there's a, you know, there's still a little bit of like a get off my lawn person that lives inside me. And I'm always like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know what that music is. But even as someone who, <laughs> you know, doesn't really vibe with a lot of new music, you know, I hear kids listening to stuff and I'm just like, like, I feel like a parent. And I'm like, you people don't know what good music is. I can't believe you're listening to that crap. And like, I think <laughs> it in my head, but I'm not going to say it because I know I shouldn't say it. Yeah. And also because I'm embarrassed because that's the stuff that my older relatives said to me when I was, you know, 22 I years know. old. And I'm sure that, 
when you were, you know, younger and digging the Beastie Boys, that there was somebody older around who was like, take that crap off. Yeah. Certainly somebody thinking it. It was cool, though, going back to the Beastie Boys and going back to my upbringing. When I got into the Beastie Boys, I, I could tell that my dad was afraid because he would get all of his Christian newsletters and he would say, oh, like I heard they... You know, there's a lot of songs about drug use. And then it was cool because each and every album, the Beastie Boys were getting more and more mature. Right. And I could be like, well, Dad, they're not really rhyming about drug use now. And, oh, Dad, they just put on a benefit concert to save the people of Tibet. And, oh, Dad, they're just, they, they just did a, another charity concert. So it was cool how the Beastie Boys actually matured and made them okay to listen to in my household. But that's Even so, though I was going to listen to them anyway. Anyway, right. That's so awesome to me because as a pop culture fan, you don't see progression in every artist that you follow. And the Beastie Boys started out here and they ended up here. Yes. And it's it's... That's the way that people should be. Like, we should progress as we get older and smarter, hopefully, and mm -hmm. end up being, like, more enlightened, more wise, more empathetic, more caring people. You know, I, I, you can go from Paul Revere to, you know, to Sure Shot. And it just, like, a lot of... Yes. Yeah. A lot of people in culture just kind of want to stay the same forever. They don't want to grow up or mature because they think that they'll lose their audience. So, I mean, even it was, though- it's a, it's a great thing when artists and celebrities and people evolve. Yeah, I mean, cause again, like people, human beings are supposed to be evolving creatures. Like I'm not the same person I was five years ago. And if I was the same person I was five years ago, what did I do with the five years of living that I'd done? How has, how has Jim changed the most over the years? I try to tweak my game. Like I always try to have an open mind and I say that, but I can still be closed minded. Okay. So it's easy to say, Oh yeah, I'll be more open minded and I'm trying to be more open minded. But when you get into certain situations, you realize that your open mind isn't always opened. Well, give me an example. So I'm always trying to, I guess be, so it took me a while to admit that I could be racist. Wow. And this, this came about a couple of years ago. So not like racist as in I would join the Ku Klux Klan. Right. But maybe there were certain things that I would do in my life or ways that I would react. And if someone confronted me maybe 15, 20 years ago, I'd say, I'm not racist. But I got to the point a couple of years ago where if someone confronted me on something, and maybe said, that's kind of racist. I'd be like, you know what? You're right. Like, I should, I should work on that. And I didn't even realize that. So I'd proud where I'd stick a finger in someone's face and say, no, I'm not. I'm not. How could you call me that? Right. So, but it was weird. I, I even said, I remember I even said it on a podcast. And I thought, what if, like, I run for president, like, in 20 years, and someone takes this two-second snippet where Jim Shearer says he's a racist? But I basically, in the context, I said, 
yes, I, I, pro I probably do. I probably am racist. There's a lot of things that I do that could be viewed as racist, and I've got to work on that. So just the fact that I can say it and work on it is something that I wouldn't have done 15 or 20 years ago. That's really important. I mean, I think a lot of people do have baked in ideas based on their upbringing and maybe don't realize that those ideas are harmful until they get older. And then they're like, oh, well, shit, I was maybe not the best person. So I, I, I respect, yes. yeah. See, and I'm at the point now, because I'm at the point now where I'm having these conversations with friends and family, and it, it, it hurt. I don't know if it hurts the right word, but they're the ones that are now sticking their fingers in my face saying, I'm not that. How could you call me that? And I'm like, just think about it. So they're not at the point I'm at right now, and I wish they could get at my point quicker or my place quicker. Right, right. But it's, you know, it's, for everyone, it's a, it's a different story. It's a different journey. So maybe at one point in time, it'll like something will snap in and I'm like, oh, yes, duh. So... But I am having these I am having these conversations with my friends and family. I think that's super, super important. Hopefully it moves the needle. And the people that are not gonna move the needle, I, you know, they're gonna have a problem. Cause I think when you label people certain things, they think that's what they are forever. So if you would call someone homophobic, they think you're stamping stamping them with that term and that's forever what they'll be. And it's like, no, like Maybe you're doing something homophobic right now. Work on that. And then tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month, next year, maybe you won't be that. Right. Right. Because I'm, I'm reading the How to Be an Anti-Racist from Ibram Kendi. And it's crazy when he writes that you can be a racist one second and an anti-racist the next. Like, it's, it's a fluid thing. So it's yeah. something that we always have to work on. So you never reach the top of the mountain and say, all right, like I've made it. I'm, I'm perfect now. So we never reach that, the, the pinnacle of the mountain. And I was thinking about doing this podcast and just like the language we have now. And if we listen to this podcast 20 years from now, how would we critique it? Like, is there a language we're using now that will be inappropriate in 20 years? 100%. Or are there ideas we're expressing now that will wince when we listen to it 20 years from now? 100%. I, I did a <laughs> podcast with a couple of friends of mine, and we've done a podcast previously, maybe like 10 years ago. And I brought up some of the stuff that was said in that podcast, and there was a lot of cringing. I, I do think it's important to give people room to evolve and grow like we all do. I, there's stuff that I thought 10 years ago that I don't think now. And, you know, it, it, like we're all evolving beings. No one comes in with all of the right answers. Right? <clears throat> so I think for something like this, you know, you have to do the podcast and be afraid to mess up or say something that would make you cringe in 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Because I mean, the alternative would just to be to sit in your room and say nothing and do nothing. Right, right. And then the world passes you by. You know, vulnerability is super important. It's like, important. what did you do in the last 20 years? I just, I just sat in a corner. Yeah, yeah. And in, in, when that happens in your world, nothing changes. Because you're a dad, I think this is actually a really good question. If you were to go back in time 
and meet 15-year-old Jim and give him one piece of advice, what would it be? It's funny because I think of this often. You do? Like, as if it could, as if it could actually happen. <laughs> technology is making for the great day when they make time machines. Yes, that could, you know, don't put it past uh, technology. So I've thought of this before and I'm kind of fine with my trajectory and the mistakes that I've made and the things that I've learned. The one thing, and it's, are you talking about a person on personal or professionally? Or Either. it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. So I would tell myself professionally in 2013, I would tell myself professionally, like 2012, 2013, to play my cards differently and be aware of certain people who I was working with. Ooh, okay. I think I could have bought two or three more years in the music television game. Are you going to follow in Dave Holmes' footsteps and write a book about your time on music television? No. And the reason, <laughs> the reason I'm not is because I don't think my stories are interesting enough. Really? Because the people that I currently talk to that have worked in the business, their stories are so much better than mine. So I thought they should be writing a book, not me. So why don't you have good stories, Jim? I never got knee deep into the action. So I would interview an artist and go home. Okay. Other people would interview the artists and then go to the bar and the club with the artist. See, that's how you get all the juicy stuff. You got to go to the club with the artist. <laughs> so I don't have any juice. No juice. Going back to the juice. Okay, I, I, that actually leads me to one more question. Do you, because you are a good guy, like, you know, you're, you know, you're not like a, not a drug user and not a, a fornicator and not like a, you're, you're you know, the, the solid like family man type guy, which is kind of antithetical to the Jesse Camps and, you know, Julie Brown and, you know, whoever else you see on a video station. How did you manage kind of in that, you know, you're kind of like an innocent kid in like a sex, drugs and rock and roll environment. I was always like that. So not, not following that path would have been different to me because the thing is i yeah i never i never took a drug or sipped a had a drip of alcohol in my life and i i don't know Wait, why ever up till now i think it's i think the reason i ever now i yeah i've never had any alcohol i've never had a cigarette i've never had any drugs wow because a lot of people when i go to a bar and i don't order a drink they think i'm a recovering alcoholic and i'm like no i've just never had one and i i think i didn't do it because i hated the popular kids so much in high school that i wanted to be the complete opposite of all of them and then it got to the point i had just not done it for so long that it almost became a streak like a Joe DiMaggio, Cal Ripken type of streak. And I'm like, right. well, since I've never done it, there's no reason to do it now. Although my wife is a big wine drinker. So at one, at some time in my life, I, I should probably join her in having a glass of wine. Have a sip. But I want my, I want my first time to be special, like on a, <laughs> on a balcony in Italy. So. I mean, if you've had grape juice, it, it's, you're not, it's just grape juice with a little kick to it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not entirely true, but wow, I did not know that about you. I mean, I assumed you had never like done drugs. I assumed that, I mean, you're from Pittsburgh. I assumed you'd been a beer drinker at some point. So like I said, I think I never did it because I just wanted to be the opposite of all the idiots in high school. I'm impressed. And I'm proud to say, I, I also want to, I also want to add this because my, my goal is to be a good guy and life is not that cut and dry. Sure. So the, the goal is to always get there. I'm not always a good guy, but I am proud to say that throughout my entire life, I was the, ne I was never the type of guy who would look at a girl and say, dude, check her out. Oh man, look at her. Oh, so I never, I never was that type of guy. And in 2020, I am so proud that I never did a lick of that. That means you'll never get canceled, Jim. Because now it's frowned upon. And yes. I was like, I was ahead of the curve, man. Because <laughs> those, were, those were some of the most uncomfortable moments in my life. When you're with a group of guys and they oogle girl, and then they turn to you and I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't join in. Right. So that, that is the one thing that I'm proud of that I never did. Good for you. I still have a lot of work to do to be the guy that I want to be. As we all do. As we all do. Yes. You know. I know. You know Mike Joseph. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to walk the walk, man. You know how some folks are really wholesome and you think they're just kind of cornball? That is not Jim Shearer. Jim Shearer is wholesome and I respect him so much for it. And he's not a cornball. He's just a good dude that's trying to do the right thing. And I respect his openness and candor talking about really difficult topics and talking about kind of goofy topics too. You can find Jim in a bunch of ways. He is on Twitter and Instagram at his name, Jim Shearer. That is J-I-M-S-H-E-A-R-E-R. -E -E and uh, you can also check him out on SiriusXM. I know that six, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s now used to air at 1 p.m. on Tuesdays. And since people are not recording live on studio, in studio, he was doing the Jim Shearer show. And you know how TV Guide used to say, check your local listings? Well, check your local listings. In this case, that would be Jim Shearer's social media, which I mentioned earlier. And uh, it appears to jump from day to day each week, but it's on at least once a week. And he interviews people and uh, does skits and all sorts of fun stuff. So make sure you check out the Jim Shearer show on Sirius XM. And I hope that 70s, 80s, 90s now comes back after the pandemic is over because I've been on it a bunch of times and I want to be on it again. So once again, thanks, Jim. So this podcast is all about helping men become better men, sharing stories, talking about being open and practicing, being truthful and honest and having feelings and all that good stuff, but done in a way that's maybe not so, I, I want to say, obvious about it or... or it, I don't want it to feel like a, a, an after-school special or anything like that. It's just people conversing, trying to make the world a better place, trying to make themselves better people. So if you support that mission, if you want men to be better, better men, if you want people to be better people, make sure you rate, you subscribe, and you follow this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate your patronage. Uh, we appreciate you listening and spreading the word. I am on social media. Instagram is DetoxPodGuy. Twitter is TizMikeJoseph. You can email me even because people still do that by the way at detoxpod at gmail.com look forward to hearing from you if you have a guest that you'd like to suggest if you want to be on the show yourself just hit me up 
I am here and I am waiting for you, standing by the hotline, waiting for the phone to ring so you can tell me A, how much you love detoxicity and B, how much you want to be on the show or you know somebody who wants to be on the show or you have constructive criticism or whatever. I just love communicating with people and uh, I'm not being sarcastic about that last part. (laughs) Also not sarcastic about this, as I record this, we are still in the middle of the COVID-19 hellscape. So I really, really want to urge you to, you know, just protect yourself, protect the others around you, wear a mask, uh, social distance, do all that good stuff. Just in the name of empathy and being kind to one another, it's important that we all stay safe and healthy. So please do so. Thank you for listening.